Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans. You'll be hearing a lot more from me when I'm back in March. But for now, here's today's show. Yes, it does, Scott, and thank you. And here is what is ahead. Stocks, you might have heard at record highs. And the state of the American economy is good. We'll talk to the head of the Chamber of Commerce. He wants gig workers left alone, and he is begging for one big type of government spending. We'll get to that. Plus, NFL Hall of Famer Terrell Davis, he is here. His new business venture, the NFL's ratings rebound, and his surprising Super Bowl champion pick. And bed, bath, and bust. No more endless replies. And a $58 million mortgage. Can you imagine? It happened. We'll talk about it. That's all ahead in rapid fire. But we begin with what else? Today's markets and Seema Modi with more on these record numbers. Seema. Just when we thought we couldn't go any higher, record highs for the S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ. Brian, we had up about 176 points for the Dow Industrials. Simmering in U.S.-Iran tension seems to be the major driver of stocks today with new records, as we were just discussing. The two main sectors, technology and a handful of industrial stocks. But it's worth pointing out, it's not just in the U.S. Check out emerging markets today. India, Turkey, China. Higher by around 2%. Turkey up 4% on this cool down in Middle East tensions. Uh, so that's certainly been a global story for markets today. And Beijing also confirming that its vice premier will be headed to Washington for the signing of the phase one trade deal. President Trump in the last hour saying today that those phase two negotiations will begin thereafter. On that note, Alibaba and JD.com, some of the names that do move on these trade headlines, hitting 52-week highs in both of these stocks, Brian, higher by 45%. Over the past one year. Back to you. Oh, big numbers again. Seema Modi, thank you very much. All right, so let's move on from the markets to the state of American business and the American economy. In 2019, I mean, it seems so last year, companies were juggling global trade tensions, the tightest labor market in decades, and a growing spate of regulations driven by individual states, all while stocks continue to march on record highs. So, going into the election, what obstacles and opportunities does American economy and businesses face? Well, today, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce CEO Tom Donahoe outlining businesses' priorities. The chamber is pushing for some sort of infrastructure deal, immigration reform, and even ways to address climate change. Joining us now is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce CEO Tom Donahue. Tom, it's great to chat with you. Good to have you on CNBC again. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, I'm very, very pleased to be here and uh, glad to listen to the news that uh, you're telling us about the market. Well, you know, record highs, it puts a lot of money in workers and even companies' coffers. Pensions are a big problem. But let's start with the overall American economy. I want to call you professor, because if you had to assign a letter grade to the macro U.S. economy right now, what would it be? Uh, I think I'd give them a a hopeful B uh, and think that they uh, might do a little better in the next semester. Why just a B, given the labor market, given GDP growth? Not spectacular, but not terrible either, Tom. Well, uh, you know, it was only a very, very short time ago that companies were hunkering down, saving their money, uh, looking that there was going to be a recession. By the way, I've been in Washington 
for the 14 recessions that uh, were predicted and only four of them happened. Uh, and uh, there were reasons for that. Manufacturing had slowed down significantly. It's starting up again in a, in a good way. There is a fundamental reality that we're a country without enough people. Uh, for every job uh, that we want to fill, uh, we have about a half a person. And, uh, and these are complicated issues. And now we're starting to look at ways that uh, after this election, we'll get into a a serious immigration bill. Uh, You know, we've been talking about infrastructure. Everybody knows we have to do it. The money's there. There are a lot of ways to get it. But all we've done is talked. And now there is some movement in the right direction. And here's the fundamental question. Can we do this in an election year? And our answer is simple. We don't have a choice. We have to do some of these but things. We, but, but Tom, to you, you and I have been talking about it. I've been down to D.C. for about a decade now talking to you and others about infrastructure. I mean, we can build an Instagram and a Facebook, but we can't build a bridge in this country. How do you believe that this Congress? Well, no, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. OK, we can't build a bridge on a national basis. The states have been upping their fuel taxes and other ways of accommodating investing in infrastructure, and they're doing a lot of good things. Thank God. The federal government has got a good sense of what has to happen, starting with uh, roads and bridges. And in the Senate this year, last year, this year is very new, last year the Senate committee on a bipartisan basis on infrastructure, came up with a phenomenal bill to do roads and bridges, a half of half of infrastructure bill, but nobody has the courage to find the money. And the, it's been 23, 24 years since we've increased the federal fuel tax. You know, with a car you drove 24, five years ago had a much, much lower fuel mileage. We've got to do this thing. Put a quarter on this deal. Shut up and let's go build the roads and bridges. Yeah, I mean, listen, nobody likes higher taxes. But the reality is, to your point, at 18 and whatever a half cents, it's now 12 cents adjusted for inflation. And and the cost of maintaining our cars is actually higher than we would pay in that gas tax. All the blown tires and hubcaps that are getting knocked off. All right. So infrastructure, you're somewhat, it sounds like, optimistic. What else does this Congress or American business need to do to get that economy from, as you put it, Tom, a B to maybe a B plus, A minus? What should be job number one or two after infrastructure? After infrastructure, we need to find more people. And uh, I know this is very, very hard. It's hard for the administration. But the fact of the matter is that in many, many places around this country, we just don't have enough people. You know what the, the, mo- the most difficult job to fill in America is a welder. Welder. And, that, you know, you used to be able to do that very easily. We just don't have enough workers. And people say, well, we'll train them. Well, we're training a lot of workers. I think we're doing a very good job on that. The chamber is very active in helping people set that up. But we actually don't have enough people, and that's exacerbated by the fact that in about 400 communities around this country, people are frozen. They can't move. They can't move? You know, they, the last, yeah, the last manufacturing company or the last distribution place left, and they live, uh, they have uh, five years left in the mortgage, and Junior and his wife and kid live in the basement, 
and there are enough uh, local jobs to sort of sustain them, but you're not going to get them to move. Yeah. They'd love to go back to a good job, but you're not going to get somebody from Oklahoma to move to Michigan tomorrow. No. And we need to get some more workers here, and that's so fundamental. There are two things that make economic growth, investment and workers. Yeah, well said. Tom, we'll get you back on again soon because I like that idea. We've talked a lot about it. Economic mobility, getting people to where the jobs are. But that's for another day and another segment. Tom Donahue, head of the Chamber of Commerce. Tom, good to have you on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. Now back to the markets, your money, and why not? A little bit of math. So we have had six trading days so far this year. Now, on three of them, we've hit all-time highs. By my math, that's a 50% success rate. In fact, the Dow is closing in on 29,000. But if you've missed out on some of these gains, don't worry. If you dig a little deeper, there actually may still be a lot of buying opportunities out there. Get this. Only 12% of S&P 500 stocks are above their 52-week high. So why don't we dig in a little bit more, maybe go on a shopping spree and get some buying ideas just for you. Joining us, Barry James, President and Portfolio Manager at James Investment Research, and Samir Samana. He is Senior Global Market Strategist at Wells Fargo Investment Management. And Barry, you know, is at a Goldman Sachs Energy Conference. The mood fairly sanguine, a little better with oil at 63 than it was at 53. But still, nobody's talking about big investments. But you are actually looking to or already have bought into a couple of oil-related names, including Pioneer Natural Resources and Mastech. Tell us why. Sure. Well, uh, the market is a little screwy right now. It's kind of, I'm calling it a spaghetti market. People are throwing stuff against the wall to see what will work. And for a little while, it was the energy sector, but it's going back to kind of the norm. It was so hated last year that the earnings comparisons are going to be very good this year. Uh, Pioneer is a Permian Basin, means Texas and into Colorado, and so U.S.-based, so we don't have problems if geopolitically with it. It's very good, one of the most efficient in terms of fracking, and um, it's, it's uh, fairly cheap relative to its history. So we think that's a good one. The Mastec play is, is in multiple areas. Yes, it, it does infrastructure things like uh, oil and gas pipelines, but also helps utilities out with communications towers. And it's big into 5G. So it's got a lot of, lot of balls up in the air. But again, it's very good at beating expectations. Yeah. The earnings are coming on strong. And we think those are, are pretty good things that you can throw against the wall and they'll probably stick. Well, one of the best years in a long time last year, Samir. If you had to pick, you just heard our conversation about the American economy. If you have to advise your clients, do I put my money in American stocks? Do I put my money in European stocks or maybe some emerging markets? Where would you advise them? So the way we would probably rank those is we still think the U.S., especially large caps, would be first. Um, we would take another look at European and developed equities. You know, there's some cheapness there, and maybe this, you know, short-term Brexit resolution, even though there's that trade deal um, cliff coming at the end of this year, maybe that's a little bit of a catalyst for a re-rating. Um, but emerging market equities are probably an area that we would still be a little bit cautious. Um, I was just looking before I, I hopped on here. They're up about 20% since last fall and you know now the valuations are you know probably a little bit more fairly valued again and you know there's probably not a lot of catalysts on the horizon okay so samir i want to stick with you on that if there was a catalyst maybe it's the fed here or central banks globally what do we need to see happen for maybe that next leg of stock market growth to occur 
So we would need, you know, actual economic growth to, to pick up, not just in the U.S., but especially Europe, and, you know, because that's another one of those export-oriented markets and, you know, a lot of consumers in, in Europe. Um, and then we would also need to see probably some stimulus out of China. Now, those are both things that we don't expect, but if you were to see those types of things happen, we would get a lot more bullish on emerging markets. Okay, and finally, Barry James, let's talk about the economy vis-a-vis housing, because a lot of people out there watching this network, maybe they've got some money saved, the markets are up, they're thinking, finally, rates are low, we are going to buy a house, Dagnabbit, and you like Radian Group, a little known, a little talked about stock that helps people do that by insuring the mortgage effectively. That's right. Um, you know, we like the financial sector uh, with low interest rates. That's uh, favorable, of course, obviously for the housing market, but also favorable for financial types of stocks. Uh, this one is a, is, a, is a solid play in that area, uh, pretty dominant. And so we think that it's got good prospects for the year ahead. And uh, we like the valuations that are on it. It's good relative to its history and the like. So we, we would think that's something that's pretty good. We've got uh, these in our, in our funds, uh, like the Golden Rainbow Fund. So we're, we're putting our money where our mouth is with these picks. We like it both. Barry James, Samir Samana, gentlemen both, thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. So one block down, but we're just getting started here on the exchange. Here's what else is ahead. Coming up, Uber makes a bold move as it tries to fight back against California's new employee laws and consumers won't be happy. Plus, life off the field. NFL Hall of Famer Terrell Davis joins us live for a look at his new venture and his very surprising pick for Super Bowl champs. And bed, bath, and a big fall. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. For all you golden staters out there who take Uber, listen up. Big changes coming your way in California. Uber is retooling its app in order to comply with the state's new labor law that aims to reclassify so-called gig workers as regular employees. Here's what it means for riders. For private rides, not shared, the Uber app will now only give an estimate as opposed to a fixed cost. And now Uber drivers will also be able to reject ride requests without any penalty or reason. Comes as Uber and Postmates are both suing California to roll back the law or try to kill it all together for more. Let's bring in Bradley Tusk, founder and CEO of Tusk Ventures, as well as Deirdre Bosa. Okay, Deirdre, I gave a kind of a basic rundown, but what it also does Mm -hmm. is it basically caps Uber commission at 25%. So you pay 50 bucks for a ride, you know, and and the driver will get 75% of that. Uber will keep its 25%. What are the folks you're talking to inside and outside of Uber saying about this new law? Well, I think what a lot of people are focused on is this is just the beginning. Some of the changes actually work in favor of the riders. It's still very early to tell. Of course, some of them work in favor for the drivers. But this is California right now. Last night, Governor Cuomo gave his state of the state address in New York 
talking about the gig economy and regulations that he wants to put in place. So, Brian, don't think you're safe over there in New York. These changes could be coming to you as well, as well as far more changes. And, of course, it's not just Uber. It's Lyft. It's DoorDash. It's Grubhub. It's a lot of these gig economy um, companies that are seeing their landscape be completely upended by regulation. No, you're right, Deirdre. A lot of the things that California enacts do make their way to other states as well. Bradley, in the lawsuit, you know, of course, you need a plaintiff, right? So they, they found an Uber driver and they found a Postmates driver to sort of be the main plaintiffs in the lawsuit against what's called AB5. That's the rule in California. They call it irrational and unconstitutional. What do you think about it? You know, I, I think that if you're Uber, you're trying everything you possibly can to not have to comply with the law. That could be what they're doing in court by suing. They're running a referendum to try to get the voters to overturn it. And then you see some of the changes they just made so that they can technically be in compliance if they have to. Um, really, what I think Uber should have been doing from the beginning is speaking to the voters in California. And, and they'll do it also, as Deirdre said, here in New York, and New Jersey, Illinois, other states are going to take this issue up as well. And just explain what all of this means. I don't think any person inherently really cares whether a driver is a 1099 uh, independent contractor or a W-2 full-time employee. They just want to know what it means for them. And as you, as you pointed out earlier, it has implications. Uh, cost of rides will probably go up. Wait time for rides will go up. Drivers will now have the ability to reject a trip, so you can't be assured that they'll definitely take your ride. Um, the price will be an estimate as opposed to a fixed guaranteed amount. And so I think had Uber said to the people of California from the beginning, this is what it means if this law passes, they would have had a much better shot at shaping the law the right way in the first place. Um, they mismanaged the campaign in California, and hopefully they won't do that yeah. again in New York. You know, Deirdre, listen, I- I'm shocked Uber stock is not moving more today on this. I know it was known. I mean, I knew people knew this was coming. But to Bradley's mm-hmm. point, listen, if you fly into LAX, as I do frequently, it's about a 30 to 45 minute wait to find your car in some cases because they move them off to the side. Now, if you hit that button and you start to wait, all these taxis go, you're waiting for your Uber. And then 20 minutes in, the driver mysteriously cancels the fare or it's a lot more Mm -hmm. expensive than you think. You might start looking back at those taxis again. This seems like it could be very negative for Uber. Absolutely. Or Uber essentially turns into a taxi company and no longer justifies its tech multiple, its tech valuation. I'm really curious from Bradley because to know Uber has faced many, many existential battles in the past. Bradley has been there for some of them. So I'm curious, Bradley, do you think that this is at the level of some of the others in the early days when Travis Kalanick was still involved? Or is this enough to completely upend the business model? Yeah, I mean, look, is is that quite as dire as when Taxi was literally trying to stop us from existing in the first place? That was clearly the most existential threat we faced. Um, but this is up there. It's a really serious threat. And part of the problem is Uber's been on a real losing streak lately when it comes to regulation, whether it's London or California or New York or a lot of other places. And these things build upon itself. It's not just that the law is harmful for Uber and that the threat is really high to the business. It's that Uber no longer seems equipped to deal with this threat in the first place. Yeah, and we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out. Often the worst ideas, they don't actually occur. But I'd also love to hear from some of the riders out in California what they think as well. They Feel free to tweet any nasty comment to Deirdre Bosa. Send the nice ones to me and Brad. <laughs> Kidding. Bradley Tusk and Deirdre, thank you both very thank much. Thank you for All right. On deck, Bed Bath & Beyond Bad results anyway. The company's new CEO calling the quarter disappointing. The question is, can he or anyone turn things around at that retailer? 
and he played seven seasons with the Denver Broncos. But it's what he's doing now off the field that he's calling a game-changer. NFL former running back, and by the way, Hall of Famer, Terrell Davis, will join us live ahead. And a reminder, you can always watch us live on the go on the CNBC app as well. Check it out. We're back in two minutes. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. And welcome back to The Exchange. Here are some of the movers at this hour. We're going to call this one the Retail Wreck Edition. Apologies in advance. Shares of Kohl's, they are down 9% on a downgrade to a neutral from a buy at Bank of America. This due to disappointing holiday sales and Kohl's Amazon return program failed to increase foot traffic as much as many had thought or hoped. Macy's shares getting dragged down with some of the other retailers today. This despite an upgrade on that stock to a neutral from an underperform in Atlantic equity, so basically hold it. And then there is J.C. Penney. Oh, J.C. Penney. Down about 11% on lower holiday comps, appliances, and furniture, the biggest drag there. And we should note that J.C. Penney's market cap, only around $350 million. We normally don't talk about stocks under $500 million, but given how many shares they have and where the stock and the name used to be, we felt it's fine. Now, let's get a CNBC News update. For that, here's Sue Herrera once again. Good to see you, Brian. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. A Ukrainian airliner that crashed in Iran, killing all 176 people on board, was most likely brought down accidentally by Iranian air defenses. This according to U.S. officials. One said U.S. satellites had detected the launch of two missiles shortly before the plane crashed. Britain's House of Commons giving its final approval to the bill authorizing that country's departure from the European Union. This paves the way for Brexit at the end of the month. Lawmakers voting 330 to 231 to pass the measure, which will become law once it's approved by Parliament's upper chamber, the House of Lords. The White House says construction of the U.S.-Mexico border wall will move forward after a federal appeals court ruling that frees up construction money. The two-to-one decision halted a federal judge's ruling in December that prevented the government from spending $3.6 billion diverted from the military. And a statue of President Trump in his wife's native country was burned to the ground this morning. The 26-foot wooden statue was popular with an ever-growing number of tourists. Even though it was a tourist attraction, some locals didn't like it. You are up to date. That's the news update this hour. Brian, I will send it back to you. All right, Sue, thank you very much. So here's what else is coming up on The Exchange. Ahead, could we soon be saying goodbye to unlimited Twitter replies? Apple sets a new record in 2019, and it's not its stock price. Bed, bath, and bust? 
and an inside look at Travis Kalanick's next big venture. It's all coming up on The Exchange. A kinder, gentler Twitter, maybe. A mega mansion mortgage, and it is doctors versus the big pharmacies over opioids in Ohio. It is time for Rapid Fire, and here with their takes are Seema Modi, Robert Frank, and Meg Terrell. Welcome all. All right. First topic. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond are being deeply discounted today. It reported a big loss. It withdrew Wall Street guidance. Stock is down about 19%, making this its third worst day ever. But remember this. If you back up that chart just five years, six years to January 2014, Bed Bath & Beyond was an $80 per share stock. Seema Modi, it has been... Brutal for this retailer and its investors. Yeah, and it speaks to this growing divide among the winners and losers in the retail space. What's interesting is that the bar was already lowered ahead of its earnings report, yet they still couldn't deliver. Add to that disappointing earnings report, they withdrew their 2020 guide. And so now the transparency into the future much harder for the financial community. I'm a suburban mom now, so Bed Bath & Beyond is part of my purview of things I hit up on the strip mall on my way home. And I have to say, when I have all these options like a Target that I can go to that has everything Bed Bath & Beyond offers and more, I go to the Target. I think also the fact that there are such easy returns for things like Amazon, Target, Walmart, all upping those things, that makes it really hard for a Bed Bath & Beyond. It's a very easy store to e-commerce and buy those things online as opposed to going there. It does have a new CEO. So they're shaking things up. By the way, stock has done well the last four months until today. I mean, it it had almost doubled. It was heavily shorted, obviously. The stock had a good run on the new CEO. And this could be sort of a kitchen sink type thing, the new CEO. Pun intended. Yeah. He's he's cleaning (laughs) house. Cleaning house. A lot of senior executives are going to bring in a new team. Um, So it's early. But, but long-term, this is still a, a company that has a lot of stores. You know, and we're also, you know, Pier 1's been closing stores, and you wonder... That for, really upsets me as a suburban mom. That's where should, I get listen, all my health insurance. You know, on a serious note, for all you... By the way, new suburban mom, um, what you don't want are half-full strip malls. That they're, is true. They're ugly. They decrease sales. They reduce property values. We don't want to have a bunch of holes... In the suburbs. And they should merge with Bath and Body Works, which is doing well, which bed, would be bath Bed, and Bath, and Bath, and Bath. Yeah. yeah. So what, would their, <laughs> what would their ticker be? B, 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 Y. All right, next up. A nicer Twitter. Oh, please. Twitter plans to test out a new feature that would allow users to control who can reply to their tweets. It's all part of an effort to combat online abuse and harassment. CEO Jack Dorsey has been very vocal about increasing the so-called health Meg Terrell of Public Conversation. I mean, you are America's most well-loved and well-liked, you know, sort of pharmacy and medical biotech reporter. I think I might be the only one on television, but I'll take it. We'll just keep it at that, though. (laughs) The point is, women face a lot more crap, for lack of a better term, than guys do. I would imagine you're going to be in favor of this feature. Actually, I'm not. No. Um, When they're talking about the health of public conversation, I mean, I think there are two ways to read into that. The health meaning, yes, let's get rid of people who are trolling and can be even more damaging. I mean, some of these things are just disgusting, and I mute those people or I block those people. But the health of public discourse means that people should be able to engage even if the person originally posting doesn't agree with them. I mean, let's think about whether President Trump decided to only allow his followers to engage with his tweets. That would mean the only things he sees are things that are already people who agree with them. Whenever you sort of muddle into this free speech debate, I, I kind of agree with you, but I also worry, Robert, that there's a lot of bots out there. You know, you look at replies on certain things. It's the same language. Those are not people. Those are computers or, or people with 100 accounts 
yeah. blasting you to sort of either change the dialogue or to create some kind of a trend which should never exist in the first place. Well, there's a spectrum here. So there, there's what they call the global setting where you can just have anyone reply. And then there's this statement setting, which is that no one can reply to tweets. And there are gradations in between. So I think that's, that's useful because there are levels of, of engagement. But I do think, to Meg's point, there is a groupthink problem with social media, with all media, where everyone wants to read just what reinforces their own ideas. And so if we only accept comments about what we do, what we say, from people who are like us or who we like to see what they comment, then that just makes it worse. It does seem like Twitter is being a bit more proactive in trying to address, whether it be political advertisements, harassment, either we, if it, as, as though we don't agree with the exact policy they're using or these steps they're taking, at least they're being proactive, especially when you compare and, and it to by what the way, Facebook's been trying to if do. If you don't like Twitter, don't be on it. All right? Just bail out. All right. Is there a trade war impact on Apple? Apparently not. Apple stock up again today, another record. New Chinese government data shows an 18% spike in iPhone unit sales last month. This is the company announced their record year for its services business. Get this, 386 million in App Store sales on New Year's Day and nearly 1.5 billion, Robert Frank, between Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve alone. I know that pace probably wouldn't be kept up, but if it would be, that would be about 70 to 75 billion in sales at that rate. Yeah. In a year on yeah. the App Store for Apple. Yeah, it's amazing, the numbers. So you look at, let's say, the news, the news function of Apple right now, 100 million users of Apple News. Podcasts, there are now 800,000 podcasts on Apple. And, and what? 800,000 podcasts on Oversaturation Apple. Yeah. definition. Yeah, 800,000? 800,000, yeah. And so, so I only you, listen to Megs. <laughs> Do you have a podcast? podcast? I used to, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I just keep it. playing the same one over and over again. <laughs> but, but look, I mean, they, this just speaks to the power of that ecosystem and the power of what they say is the real future of Apple, which is not the iPhone, which is not hardware. It is the ecosystem. China was supposed to be the big issue with Apple. Yeah, we're, we're mad at Apple. You know, we're mad at America. China Down with tensions, Trump. Don't buy any yeah, iPhone. Huawei. Rise in nationalism. Although this is a report. So let's see what we get from the real earnings report when it comes out later this month. But it, I think this does speak to Tim Cook's strategy in China potentially paying off, uh, pricing the iPhone effectively in a country like China where the customer tends to be a bit more price conscious. Plus, they have so many other options with yeah. local competitors like Huawei. But numbers from this report suggest maybe that strategy is working. It's also, let's be clear, you've been to China. I think we've all probably been there or near there. It's a status symbol. The iPhone right. stat- means yep. you've got money. That's yep. it. It's, it's like a car. All a right. lot of these Western brands, even Nike and Starbucks, right? Yep. They, they've had got that your phone in one hand well. and your Vente Grande Macchiato thing in the other hand and you got a car bag. in the other hand. Yeah. All right, topic four, an important one. Major pharmacy chains like CVS, Walgreens, and Rite Aid suing doctors in Northeast Ohio, claiming they, the doctors who prescribe the pills, are the ones really to blame for the opioid crisis, not the pharmacies. Meg, these are the same drugstore chains scheduled to go to trial in October. Wow. I mean, this is finger-pointing on a whole new level. This is really a defense strategy, right? So these pharmacies are the ones left over after back in October. Remember, we were in Cleveland the day that these things were supposed to go to trial, naming several distributors, drug makers, and a pharmacy um, in terms of trying to say that they caused the opioid crisis. Now, we saw about a $260 million settlement from some of the defendants in that case, excluding the pharmacy, and now more have been named. So they are left in this suit. And essentially what they're saying is, well, you're saying that we should have flagged these 
orders coming through. Well, who wrote those orders? It was the doctors. It's really a defense strategy saying, well, if we're culpable, well, they're even more culpable. The issue is they don't even know who the doctors were. And that's part of the crux of all of these legal arguments in all of these opioid cases. It's really difficult for the plaintiffs to actually say this prescription hurt someone or killed someone, and therefore this person or company is culpable. So that is kind of the crux of the defense here. I'm going to say something that nobody's going to like to hear, but it's true. I've read a number of books, including American Pain by John Temple. We think of doctors as these good people who want to help us, and they are, by and large. But there are a lot of doctors in these areas in particular. They end up there. They're drug addicts themselves. They've got multiple divorces. They're hugely in debt, and they are paid by the pill. I mean, you read these books. These are doctors who are just, they're doctors only in name only. And they're just feeding it out. You think there's anything to this at all, Seema? Well, Meg, I would just pose this question back to you. At some point, do the incentives change for these doctors, which could maybe change the types of drugs they're prescribing to patients? Because that seems to be at the crux of this. Absolutely. And I think there's probably multiple buckets that we're talking about here. The people who are operating in so-called pill mills and legitimate doctors in practices where still they have been criticized for over-prescribing opioids. And that is definitely getting curbed and stopping. And there's been a lot of crackdowns on those so-called pill mills and doctors. Yeah. Held to account. There, there was a book, I can't remember the title, I'm sorry, it was in Florida about a pill mill where the doctors were paid by the number of prescriptions they wrote. That was it, period. And they would write 500, 600 a day, and there'd be a thousand person line outside their clinic, which would have to keep moving because it would keep getting shut down. I mean, it's an incredibly difficult and complicated story. All right. Finally, it's a mortgage worthy of what was once the most expensive listed home in the United States, a Bel Air mega mansion called Billionaire, what else? <laughs> which sold for $94 million, but that was less than half the original $250 million price. Still, it now carries a $58 million 10-year mortgage. The owner's identity is hidden behind an LLC, so we don't know whoever it is, but whoever it is is going to be making monthly payments of about $560,000 to pay off that 10-year $58 million mortgage. Robert, you have been to this house. Yes. Yeah. What do you make of the sale well, price? Well, what's interesting is prior to this mortgage, the most expensive mortgage that we knew about in America was Jay-Z and Beyonce, about four, four houses over. They had a $52 million mortgage. And now people say, well, if you can afford a $94 million house, why do you need a mortgage? Well, the reason is with rates being so low, you can take out a 3% mortgage, put that back in the stock market or private equity or whatever, earn 6 or 7%. And financially, you've made a good decision. You so you don't need interest rate. That's right. That's right. So with mortgage rates where they are, with the Federal Reserve helping you out, it now makes sense to get a $58 million that, though, mortgage. I mean, if you're going to take out a $58 million mortgage, and yeah. I hope to someday be in the position to do so, by <laughs> yeah, the way. Yeah, me too. Time's running you can buy out. a house with what they pay a month. But they don't mortgage. pay three. There's no way they're paying three and a half or four. They're not paying what we're no. paying. Are They're probably paying no. one or two percent. If you're a bank and you're Jay-Z, yeah. it's, here's, a, here's one percent, because one percent of $58 million is still a lot of money. Right. And more importantly, that bank is getting all your other business. So you're trading. They're helping to collar your corporate stock. They're helping to manage your wealth, write your trust, pay your taxes. So, yeah, that, that's going to be the lead-in offering where they make a lot of money in something else. So, yeah, you're right. They're probably maybe only two, two, one or 2%. Two it's HSBC, which, by the way, has the mortgage on this. The one detail I just loved about this story is that the owner, this was listed as their second home. Yeah. It's a yeah. Terrace. Home. Yeah, so here's my qu- we got to go. We've seen the house. Yeah. Imagine how much Bed Bath & Beyond, Meg, we could oh fill up. Oh, we yeah. could buy, we, to fill that house up, how, we'd have to go there like 100 times in our minivans while we stop at I Chick-fil-A. Have a Although the owner of this house, they're not shopping at Bed Bath & Beyond. Let's be real. <laughs> Where do they get their house? Right. These luxury home retailers. Like, yeah, they the whole company. It. Yeah, exactly. All right. Good discussion there. Thank you very much. All right. Rapid fire over. 
Football Hall of Famer Terrell Davis, CBD-infused sports drink, is now in Sprouts Supermarkets. And he is here in studio to discuss that success, his picks for Super Bowl 54, and what the heck is going to happen with the now former San Diego Chargers. I am Davis. back. I am back. Mr. Hello, San Diego. Hello, hello. We're going to be ex- back right <laughs> after this short break. Stick around. Running back Terrell Davis defied tall odds during his NFL career, fighting multiple injuries on his way to two Super Bowl championships and a spot in the Football Hall of Fame with the hated Denver Broncos. I'm kidding. <laughs> and now he's playing another big-time game, winning in the crowded sports drink market, and he's got some big news on his Defy brand. With us now is TD himself, Terrell Davis, former NFL MVP and co-founder of Defy, which is now, Terrell, welcome, by the way. You said hated Denver Broncos. Well, because Why as you with that? don't know, you were a I Charger. I'm a Chargers yeah. fan, so you're AFC West. I apologize. I had to say it. <laughs> Listen, I grew up, the Chargers were my team. I know. And then I, when the Broncos drafted me, I had to change allegiance to the, the Broncos. Orange and blue. So now I bleed orange and blue. There you go. So we'll get saying. to that in a second. Let's talk about Defy. I know you're, yeah. you're on this show Back in August. Yep. Now you're in Sprouts Markets, sort of organic. Right. So what does the what does the CBD do for you? A guy that got you know you got crushed in your career. Every all football players sore all the time. Yeah. Does it help? Does it make you well, feel I, less pain? Absolutely, and that's why we went on a journey of trying to defy, uh, actually build defy. And it was it really happened w- with me it was two years ago when I was searching for something to get through the pain, get through the inflammation in my knees and my joints, and. And I told the story last time is that it really changed my life. And so I was on it for about three weeks and I noticed that, listen, everything was feeling better. I had gotten back to a point where I was working out five times a week. I was recovering faster. It was just revolutionary. It, was, it just changed my life. And I'm like, wow. So the reason we decided to go on the journey was, number one, was that I knew there was a need out there. There was nobody in, in the performance lane with CBD. And so that was the first thing. Secondly, we realized that the CBD out there, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, CBD companies at that time, two years ago, that you could put your name on or had quality CBD. Because remember, it's unregulated. Yeah, it's just it's an industry coming exactly. into its own still. Right there. So for our viewers who still may be confused, yeah. this is not getting you high. It doesn't. So that's the, that was the most important thing that we had to make sure. Can of I that try it? Go for it. I'm gonna, cause how, try, cause try it. That's, so that's, I'm not, that's you're the, not going to get high. You won't get high. Because but how does it, zero does it change the taste? You taste it and you tell me. Well, I didn't try the old Why don't you try it? That's, as a matter of fact, that orange is an award-winning flavor right there. It's good. It's, it's really good. And so what happens is when we try, we went through about you know, a year and a half of trying to go through all the, the, the flavors and the formulations. And it's hard to try to mix CBD because it's an oil. So the taste was a little bitter, so we yeah. had to try to perfect that. We did that. We came out with our three Cost. flavors. Some people say Orange, it might be a little, ex- little expensive. Yes. Well, it, it, CBD, unfortunately, right now, it's pretty high. But over, over the next couple of months and years, we hopefully, we're hoping the prices go down a little bit. And how's it doing? It's doing well. Yeah, we're doing really, really well. We're in talks with a lot of major retailers. And uh, you can go on our, our website right now, drinkdefy.com, and order it. Uh, we it also doesn't make you slug. I mean, I know these are probably That's, stupid no, questions, not, right? No, you think anything with sort of, you know, CBD, you kind of think like that sort of slow stoner mentality. I know it's not. Drink. I get it. <laughs> it's a performance But it's drink, not so going to slow you down at all. It will not. As a matter of fact, it does yeah. the opposite. I drank the Bronco Orange, by That's the way. Right. All right, so let's talk about that. I want to shift gears. Okay. Yeah. Um, I grew up a Chargers fan. Yeah, okay, me too. part of my childhood in San Diego. In I know you played for them. What's going to happen to that franchise, man? I'm hoping. Here's what I'm hoping. It doesn't appear like it's going to work out. I live in L.A., and unfortunately for the Chargers and, and, and the fan base, 
people are not attending their game. No. You know, they, they're, you know they, you're wrong. Well, the you other know who's teams attending? Are. The, other, the other team's fans. They're booing the yeah. Chargers when they score at Home. Yeah, and it's, and it's unfortunate. You know, again, growing up, you know, Don Coriel, Dan Fouts, you know, Kellen Winslow. John Jefferson, John Jefferson Charlie Joyner. We can go on, yeah, man. Yeah, that, I'm like, it hurts my heart to see the Chargers leave San Diego. But I love to see them go back. And would be nice. I don't know if it's going to happen. But I think – and Charger fans right now, they do not like the Chargers, or at least people from San people Diego. People actively turned I away. I hope they return to San Diego. Well, the, I, yeah. I think a lot of people do. I don't know if that's going to happen. Quickly, who's going to win the Super Bowl? I wish I knew that. But I, here's my picks. I've already made my picks. I have the Vikings taking the Vikings. on the Kansas City Chiefs. I am bucking the trend this year. I, I picked these two teams before the season started. I jumped off the Vikings bandwagon, but I'm jumping back on the bandwagon. You think the Vikings are going to beat the Chiefs? In Super Bowl 54, Cousins yes. can get it done? Hey, he, already, he passed the test. He passed the biggest test of his life in New Orleans, right? Yeah. That's the hardest stadium to play in. In the postseason, game-winning drives. He had two outstanding passes. So I'm back on the Minnesota fan. Well, back. listen, I think you yeah. and I could do a sports show, man. Let's do it. We, got, we could do it. Let's do I don't it. know anything about it. sports, but I can talk. <laughs> All right. Terrell Davis God, with Defy, his yeah, CBD infused. Got come that back, one. Come back in and lemonade for We're going to well. try them. I'm gonna, I feel better already, man. <laughs> See, there you go. Testimonial. There you go. <laughs> Thank you very much, Terrell. It's a Good real job. pleasure to meet you. All right. Thanks. Uber founder Travis Kalanick moving on from the ride sharing and getting into kitchen sharing. Will he Uber the restaurant industry? That story next. Well, as more and more people opt for delivery of food instead of dining in, some restaurants are pivoting to what's called a ghost kitchen. And Uber founder Travis Kalanick is looking to cash in on that trend. Kate Rooney's in San Francisco outside of Kalanick's new venture, Cloud Kitchens, with more on this story. Kate, how does it work? Hey, Brian. So when you order food on an app, it may be coming from a warehouse rather than a restaurant kitchen. Startups like this one are letting restaurants prep food for delivery without needing the brick-and-mortar portion. Cloud Kitchens recently raised $400 million from Saudi Arabia and is potentially competing with Kalanick's former company, Uber. But it's not just Uber Eats here. You have names like Grubhub and DoorDash building their own ghost kitchens. I spoke to one franchise owner yesterday at DoorDash's location who says not paying for a front of house vastly improved the economics. And these kitchens are costly. Cowan estimates up to $5 million per location. There are some headwinds, though. Startups already have high costs for their delivery businesses, and analysts worry about profitability as they compete for market share. You also have consolidation. We had reports yesterday of Grubhub looking to sell. Brian? All right, what about the economics? Does it work? In some instances, so sort of the pure play cloud kitchen by itself seems to work. Cowan did some some analysis on a company called Kitchens United, which is pretty similar to Travis Kalanick's business model. They say that they had 20% margins and would be able to pay back that upfront cost between three and five years. So in that case, pretty good margins. It's different for this sort of delivery guys. So you take DoorDash, for example. Mm -hmm. They also have their entire delivery business, which they're spending a ton on marketing and trying to get market share in the same way that the ride delivering companies uh, did with, you saw Lyft and Uber in San Francisco. They're all trying to put their flag down. So those are two different types. You have the pure play and then you have the food delivery ones. So it depends, but a really interesting business model. All right. Kate Rooney outside the ghost kitchen. Kate, thank you very much. All right, let's stick with news out of Silicon Valley. Christina Farr of CNBC.com reporting just now that Tesla's former CFO, Deepak Ahuja, is joining Alphabet's health group. 
Deepak did two separate stints at Tesla, and he's telling CNBC believes that healthcare is in a state of crisis and that a company, Verily, has the possibility to redefine how healthcare is approached. Verily has more than a dozen efforts underway in partnerships with both Novartis and Pfizer, among others. For more on this developing story, you can read Christina's story on CNBC.com. Nearly doubling over the past three months, but falling nearly 4% today on seemingly no news. Is it possible the stock has run up too far, too fast? That is next. All right, this seemingly unstoppable Tesla stock chugging its way nearly 500 bucks a share. Let's bring in Colin Rush, senior analyst at Oppenheimer. Colin, I mean, I don't even know how you value this company anymore. Is it a tech company, a car company? Because if it's a car company, it's trading at, what, more than a million dollars for every car sold? You know, it, you have to look out into the future. You're looking at, you know, 2024, 25 now and the disruption that they're bringing into the market. You know, I think the watershed moment for us is this uh, you know, ramp of the China facility, you know, greenfield to car production in less than a year is, is astounding. It's over twice as fast as uh, we see facilities come up in, in any other region. And so Tesla being able to execute on that is, is something that I think is terrifying other car manufacturers, but also severely disrupting the market. Yeah, but what point does the, I hear all that, but at what point does the stock just get way overvalued? Well, it's going to go higher and lower, and, and it's digesting a little bit today, and, and certainly we're going to get some, some more numbers on cash flow, importantly, when they report uh, in early February. And I think that's going to be the, the real metric for us to watch is, uh, you know, how much operating leverage are they getting off of these vehicles? And as they, they grow 30 to 50 percent a year, how much cash are they generating? And, and as they continue to grow that cash generation number, we think the multiple will hold up here, uh, you know, over over the next couple of years and, and still have a bullish bias on the name. Well, you and, and you have been bullish and you have been right. But your stock price of 385 is 100 bucks less than the stock price is right now. So either you got to re up your stock price or change your rating. Absolutely. You know, we're doing some additional diligence here in terms of where technology, uh, uh, you know, positions are across the industry, uh, evaluating how that looks relative to Tesla, both on the operating system as well as on the powertrain technology. And um, absolutely, it's a, it's a challenge for us. And certainly when a stock moves 50 percent in three months or I'm sorry, 100 percent in three months, uh, it, you know, we have to re- respond to that. And so we want to make sure that we're on solid ground as we make those calls. Do they have enough supply of lithium and other the minerals that you need to build these batteries? Lithium isn't a, isn't a material that's in short supply across the globe, um, but we do think it's lithium in the, the right configurations. We think they've got their contracts in very good shape. Um, but that's uh, an area where we're watching very closely to see uh, inventories come down. You know, we're still bullish on Albemarle ALB, uh, and we think that that lithium opportunity has been uh, pushed to the side here for a couple of years, but it's something that's very interesting in 2020. It is. Lithium, by the way, I think the most common or one of the most common elements in the world. It just tends to be found in really weird, out-of-the-way places. Colin Rush of Oppenheimer. Colin, thank you very much. Good discussion there on Tesla. The Dow is up 182 points. More new record highs in the market despite geopolitical concerns. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.